everybody. Thanks for joining the Armed and Ready podcast. I'm your host, Jason Wood, the VA loan guy. And uh, today we have a really great episode. We have Tim Kennedy, uh, Army veteran, on the show with us, also MMA fighter. And we are super excited to have him on the show today and learn a little bit about um, his past and what he's doing right now. So, um, Tim, welcome to the show, man. Thanks. How you doing? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I'm doing good. How are you? I'm I'm fantastic, epically fantastic. That's awesome, man. So, um, yeah, I know um, probably a lot of people follow you because you know what you do on the MMA, MMA scene and stuff. But I wanted to kind of catch our our viewers or listeners up to speed on who you are, what you're doing now. Um, okay. I know you served in the army, so tell us a little bit about your service. Like, what compelled you to join the military? And uh, tell us about your job a little bit in the, in the military. All right. Uh, so I enlisted on 9/11 uh, for obvious reasons. I think uh, at the time I want I wanted to go work for the FBI. So I was, I was, I was in grad school to be a a, a profiler and uh, work in forensics. But um, you know, 9/11 changed the course of that. I was at the recruiter's office on September 11th, knocking on a door, trying to figure out um, how to get a Navy SEAL contract, a Marine recontract, Marine recontract contract, or a Green Beret contract. Um, and ultimately, I chose the 18 X-ray program and um, to become a Green Beret, which I then became uh, Special Forces. Army Special Forces, and then, uh, you know, went to Ranger School and Sniper School, and then went to a Special Missions Unit, um, and kind of specializing in counterterrorism and hostage rescue, and I did that for the seven years on active duty, or eight years on active duty, and then for the past eight years, I have been in the National Guard, uh, still working Special Forces and Special Operations, and um, yeah, so that's my career in a nutshell, Afghanistan, Iraq, South America, uh, Africa, um, few things in Europe, but yeah, it's generally it right there. Nice. Yeah, I didn't know um, the guard had the uh, special forces unit. That's kind of cool. It is sometimes, and then it's like less than cool. <laughs> I'm looking to try and figure out what is the right screw for the loophole delta point. It is the screw set five eleven. Okay. All right. Nice, sorry. Man. So no problem. Um, so you're you're fighting now, right? Are you are you you've been in in Mixed martial arts. Uh, how long have you been doing that? I fought professionally for 18 years. Um, I came into the military at, already as a professional, like a, I, I think I was like ranked seven in the world when I enlisted. And um, so during my time on active duty, I was still fighting. And that was working out pretty well until a sergeant major from special forces was like, wait a second. That, that's that's one of my dudes. And, um, and then he put a kibosh on that. The National Guard, they are organized that you have a second career, that your full-time job is not being a soldier. You have to have the same, you know, qualifications, requirements as a soldier. But um, so the National Guard called me and they said, hey, would you be interested in, uh, you know, being a fighter over here? And I said, hells yeah, I will. And that was the beginning of that. So I've been in uh, – on in the National Guard, I'm still fighting. Um, I've I, I retired officially last year as an active UFC fighter, and uh, just running my companies now. Okay. Okay. What what martial arts did, did, are you practiced at, or um, or, or your main things that got you into doing it professionally? 
Whew, um, a whole bunch of them. Uh, I think now primarily I practice jujitsu, but um, I was one of the first army. I was the first army combatives black belt, um, and uh, did judo, kickboxing, Hawaiian kempo, Japanese jujitsu. So a myriad like UFC is is called mixed martial arts, and uh, I, I I was a really really early version of that. So I, I wrestled in high school. Um, and uh you know grappled and that carried on into my professional career where i could pick where a fight was going to be whether we we're going to be on our feet or we we're going to be on the ground and that 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 was uh worked out pretty well for me nice so did you start like martial arts and stuff as a kid or did that happen kind of later in life oh no i i my my i was a, a second boy i'm a middle child and okay. completely an idiot so my dad i think put me into martial arts to try to keep me out of jail. And um, so that kind of worked. I mean, somewhat. And um, that uh, it was my dad's fault. You know, I think my first martial art was, was uh, ta um, Taekwondo. And then I started Shotokan Karate. And then, and then I kind of got into, then next was Japanese jiu-jitsu, and I fell in love with the, the gentle art of grappling, and, um, and it was all downhill from there. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, and so that obviously has kind of sparked what you're doing now. So what are you doing now for business? You said you got a couple of companies. Yeah. Uh, so I have an MMA apparel company called Ranger Up. Um, I've been working with them for eight years. Um, I have a shoe company called Woobies and um, they, they make design by a green beret, um, like foot apparel. They're pretty cool. They, they look like skateboard shoes, but they're for operators. Um, and then I spend the vast majority of my time on Sheepdog Response, which is a defensive tactics company that um, you know, our, our motto is to preserve and protect human life. So, you know, we teach hand-to-hand, -hand, uh, self-defense, um, weapon retention, weapon takeaways, law enforcement, military, civilian. Um, and uh, you know, like our ideals are to hopefully a, a contagious one where people remember that we're actually a badass society that's not scared of anything, whether it be Nazis or Japanese in Pearl Harbor or radical Islam or a uh, virus. We try to empower the individual to, to be strong. Yeah, Ura, I love that. Um, so are you guys like contracting with, you know, local police agencies and, and different military outfits and stuff like that? Yep. Yeah, we, um, we, we, we have a, a, a myriad of contracts, you know, from Border Patrol to three-letter three agencies. Um, we also do lots of law enforcement. Uh, but we, we primarily try to train the civilian. We try to empower the individual to be ready for their the worst day you know it's there there weren't police at columbine right away there weren't police at the pulse nightclub right away there weren't police you know anywhere where bad things happen they have to get there there's just regular people standing by and we're trying to empower the regular people that's 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 our mission nice so how do you how do you go out and kind of attract that client um, what do you guys do to, to bring them in-house? Well, I mean, I think if you look at, um, you know, Corona that just happened, like people lost their minds, you sure. know, they're making runs on toilet paper, 
um, you know, fighting, fighting over bleach. And, um, you know, like we're, we're in a society that eats Tide Packets. Um, and, I, and there's so much press that goes to that kind of crazy group. They forget, oh, I think collectively we forget that the vast majority of Americans like just want to be safe and just want to be free. And there's a degree of preparedness that goes along with that. So, you know, dur during this pandemic or whatever people call it, um, you know, the, the people that have worked with us, like they were very, very, very well positioned and situated to be fine. You know, they're like, I already have water. I already have extra toilet paper. I already, I'm not freaking out. You know, I already know how to protect my family. Um, and uh, so it was way less impactful for everyone that has ever come to one of our courses. Um, you know, this was just, you know, it's kind of a bummer thing. We can't work out as much. Um, we can't right. go to the range as much. So it was, uh, it, I, I think that's a really clear example of just how effortless and, and seamless being prepared makes you for when bad things happen. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, preparedness is, definitely more on the forefront of people's minds after this whole thing than it ever was, you know, from, from the aspects you brought up, even to like financial preparedness too, you know, making sure you got enough money saved in the bank to weather a storm like this. And that's, yeah. that's crippled a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, the, uh, you know, a lot of these stuff happened, I think economically with, um, you know, who's getting loans, who's not getting loans, um, you know, Harvard getting massive bailouts and, and kind of the small business looking there being like, hey, man, hey man I'm, I'm not furloughing anyone. I'm not laying anyone off. I'm trying to keep all of my employees um, at work, but uh, there's there's nothing to help us. Um, you know, I 100% agree. The, the, the type of preparedness it goes, you know, I, I was reading like the average American has $300 in savings, you know, yeah. like that, that doesn't pay for a week of rent, you know, that doesn't pay for one week of food. Um, and, uh, like another name for a special forces guy is, is a snake eater. You know, we go to the, some schools where they drop us out in the wilderness and, and, um, you gotta, you gotta forage for your food. You have to find your own food. And, and of course we always find snakes and we always end up eating them. And that's one of the, uh, one of the nicknames that they have for us. And, but the idea is like, it doesn't matter what it takes. You're going to do whatever is necessary to have what you need and, and provide for your family or for yourself even. Right. Yeah, absolutely. How was, now how, how did you guys do your, your kind of civilian training through your program? Um, do people typically, I mean, before COVID, do typically people travel to you to a special site or, um, how do you guys typically carry yeah. that out? So we travel all over the, the nation. We run about 20 courses a year. Um, and, you know, all of our instructors are, are true tier one guys. Um, you know, Delta Force, um, Army CRIF, um, Navy SEALs, Marine Recon. Um, and so... It's, it's a cadre unlike, I think, anywhere on the planet. They're also all professional fighters, and they're black belts in jujitsu and um, competitive shooters. So it makes it 
a really neat experience when you go to a course and you're like, who's this dude that's presenting me right now? Like this guy did what? He was in Afghanistan how many times? He was in Iraq how many times? And that's just like, yeah, that's just Matt. That's uh, yeah, Matt's, Matt's pretty cool. You know, Matt's been in the special forces for 25 years. Uh, he's a Sergeant Major in special forces from a special missions unit. Cool. Yeah, that's Matt. Um, so we, we also have kind of our, our home gyms and home ranges here in Austin, Texas, where, you know, we, we do a lot of training, but we also travel all over the nation um, to meet up with people to, to do training. That's great. Um, and I noticed like so, you got my side on. There you go. Um, so I noticed you're pretty active, like on social media and stuff. Um, how's that impacted your business? Uh, man, I hate social media. <laughs> the, uh, I'm, I'm sure like, you know, they, they, they say like no amount of media is bad media. Um, you know, but like social media is a really hard, unforgiving, hateful environment to try to work in. And, um, it's, uh, you know, everybody's an expert on there. Um, you know, if I post a video of me shooting, um, again, I've been in special forces for 17, 16 years. Um, I'm a special forces sniper. Like I grew up competitively shooting and hunting. Like I have been doing this my whole entire life. And, um, you know, like I, I know the guys that are faster than me and, and there are some, there's not very many, but then like you go into the comment section and it's like, Oh, Hey, pro tip, bro. If uh, you position your hand a little bit more towards your center line, you're going to shave off your draw time by 0.2 seconds. You're like, cool. Thanks for that pro tip. You know, like you're, you're a genius <laughs> professional athlete for 18 years, you know, fought for world titles. And, uh, yeah, I get on a, on a, on an assault bike and it's like, Hey, just want to let you know that if uh, you position your hands a little bit further out on those bars, you're going to, you're going to increase your volume output by a good 10th of a percent. Thanks. Thanks for that contribution. You know, you're uh, I know you want to help and, and, and I value your advice on my comment section. Like the whole point of this was just like, go do work. Right. <laughs> like, I'm not, a, I'm not a professional exerciser. I don't care. So what's like, what's your, what's your passion or your motivation to keep, to keep, you know, training hard and, and exercising and, and doing all the things that you do? What, what drives you every day? Man, I think, uh, you know, my family, I'm, I'm about to walk out to my pool while my, my kid is, is out there, hopefully not drowning. Um, and you know, like the motivation is them, you know, it's, it's making sure that I'm able to provide to that for them. I'm able to protect them. Um, you know, and, and I want the same protection and security that I have for my family, for every American family. You know, it's, 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 this isn't just for me. Like, this is like, I love this country and I love what we were founded on. I love who we are. Um, so I want every American to kind of share and experience the same freedom that goes along with having more than $300 in your bank account, you know, not sitting there like, like the thought that there's an American that is scared to go to the supermarket because they might get trampled trying to get toilet paper pisses me off. You know, um, there's nobody that's ever trained with me that has, that was fearful about going to pick up toilet paper. Um, 
so you know, like that that was the that that that's the passion is trying to get everybody on board to this beautiful thing that we call freedom and get everybody as best situated as they can to experience it to its fullest. Right. Yeah, I, I agree with you, man. I think um, I think a lot of this has brought out more and more of that patriotism in people and um, you know just love of country. At least it seems more visible nowadays than it has in the past. Yeah. And then some people just lost their ever-loving minds. That's true. That's true too. Um, yeah, you could have a new hashtag. You know, same with me. Don't get stampled over buying toilet paper. <laughs> yeah. What would you say? Um, you know, if you were if you were talking to a young guy or a gal who was um, in the military and and maybe looking to transition into the civilian world and and, and do something on their own, um, what kind of advice or takeaway? from your experience, would you share with them to help them um, reach some level of success? As an employer, half the time, I just want my employees to show up at the right place at the right time with the right piece of equipment to be able to do the job. And, um, and like, that's, that's asking too much sometimes. So we've given, the military has given you these tools to be able to be successful at this thing, this entrepreneurial world. And, um, you know, I just hope people have faith that they can go out and do it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it definitely gives you a lot of tools from a, a discipline standpoint and, you know, like a process standpoint. I mean, the one thing that, um, I think has helped me a lot in my business in the mortgage industry is, uh, from the military is implementing just processes and, and protocols to follow. Right. So that, it's just like we, we have in the military, right? It's, it's all replicatable. And, um, and I think too often people, especially in the entrepreneurial setting, um, lose sight of kind of those guidelines and those boundaries they can establish for themselves and get a little too willy-nilly on stuff. And so that's, that's a big takeaway that I've had um, from the military is just being able to implement processes and procedures. Yeah, like I, I, still, I still use... Like the range safety brief from the military when I go and I teach a course, I still go out and if if I am going to be using a new facility, um, I I use the same kind of matrices to figure out um, to identify you know potential threats and how we're going to neutralize them or how we're going to mitigate them. Like you know, hey, we're going to have a few extra instructors or the hospital is a little too far away, so we're going to have an extra vehicle dedicated for transport. Um, like all the things that you learn in the military absolutely work on the, in the civilian landscape. You just have to be smart enough to go and apply it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so where I'm going now. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so what do you, what do you foresee happening here in, in the near future with uh, people in this country and in the whole COVID thing. Do you, you think things go back to normal? Do you think we're in a, a weird paradigm shift now? Um, what are your thoughts and take on all this? Yeah, I think um, people that live in fear or are fear mongers are going to live in fear and continue to peddle fear. Um, the rest, and the, you know, that's a minority. I think the rest of everyone else is going to be like, ah, this is dumb. 
I am not going to get my home foreclosed on or get evicted from my apartment because um, some government official doesn't want to look bad to the cancel culture. Uh, like I, I hope that society in large is going to wake up that, you know, a lot of these people's, these elected officials did not have your best interest at heart. And, um, you know, come this next voting cycle, they, they, they act accordingly to change who is going to be representing them. You know, like those people are supposed to work for you, the constituents. And, um, right now they're, they're doing whatever they want, um, to give them more power. And I'm hoping that I, I, I have a lot of hope that people are waking up. I'm with you there too. I mean, I, it, it frustrates me as well, not to turn this into a political show, but um, yeah, I mean, you see a lot of these elected officials who, you know, when they very first got into public office were just average Joe citizen. And you fast forward and they've been in, in politics for 30 plus years and they're extremely wealthy and yield a ton of power and I know the system doesn't pay them millions of dollars a year in income, but they've got mansions and private jets and all sorts of stuff. And they were just the average Joe when they very first started, you know, and it's, yeah. it's um, makes my stomach turn a little bit thinking about that. And I hope that the same as you, that, you know, this is a wake up call for a lot of the voters out there because um, it's such a facade that they play and, and you know, they they're just after it for themselves. Yeah. 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 Um, we need to get some term limits in there. That's what I think. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, um, Tim, I, I think it's really cool to have um, a special forces guy on the show. You know, we've had some, we've had, had some other really interesting guests, but never anybody that's quite as good at shooting a gun as you are. Um, do you have any good stories of, of teaching people how to shoot that um, kind of stick in your mind? Yeah, man, the, um, you know, we, we had this tiny little girl. I mean, she was, she was in her late thirties, early forties. And, um, you know, she weighs 90 pounds soaking wet. And she brought this revolver that some, I mean, I would even say evil guy sold her from a gun shop. Um, you know, it was too big for her hands. He sold her the wrong ammo and she was like so scared. And, um, about, you know, one, about what we'd think about her, and two, about, like, just shooting a gun for the first time. So we get her out there, and, you know, we, we, we give her an FN 509, um, you know, like a striker fire. It's like a Glock. It's just a really easy-to-shoot gun. And, uh, you know, she goes out, and the first time she ever shoots a gun in her life, she shoots, and, and she incredibly takes her finger off the trigger, puts it along the along the outside of the slide and she looks back with the biggest kid grin you know like this is a full-grown woman and uh and she's like so that was really cool and i was like yeah it's gonna get cooler and i'm like try a couple so then she sh shot a couple and we adjusted her grip and she adjusted her stance and this timid vulnerable woman transformed in like in a weekend later we find out she had been sexually assaulted and um, you know, like this was kind of for her stepping out of like this gorephobic, um, 
hypochondriac life that she'd lived in. Like this was a big step of faith for her. And by the end of this course, I mean, it would take like a velociraptor on cocaine to take this woman down. And, (laughs) um, and those are those, those, that metamorphosis that happens in front of us in real time, that transformation of a human being that goes from victim to protector. And I, you know, I, I, I can give you a hundred of those stories, but it's, it's incredible to see it in real time right in front of you, you know, and, and in my life, it happens every single week. Yeah, that's, that's cool. I, I love hearing stories like that. Um, it's empowering, man. I mean, I mean, to learn, hey, learning how to shoot, but I'm, I'm sure with some of the other stuff you guys teach with, you know, self-defense and stuff like that, especially for people who are in kind of that mindset or that, that fear bubble, it's got to be so awakening, you know? pretty cool yeah super cool so what would be your advice on um i'm sure you're pretty familiar with with guns and brands and all that sort of stuff what's a what's a good handgun for someone to have um like home defense what would you what do you recommend i mean i i think this you know the striker fire pistol um so uh instead of like a hammer going pow uh a striker fire is this thing when you pull the trigger you kind of charge the striker when you rack around and that thing sits there and that drives into the firing pin, which hits the back of the bullet. I, I know that sounded kind of mechanical, but ultimately what it makes is every time you pull the trigger, it's exactly the same. Um, it makes the function of the pistol really, really simple. It makes um, everything about operating and cleaning the pistol really, really, really easy and really, really dependable. So um, a new person, a new shooter just coming into, uh, you know, wanting to, carry a firearm for self-defense or at their home for the protection of their family. Uh, I, I think it's kind of intimidating initially. And then as Corona happened, we saw the, the long, the largest run on guns in American history. And, you know, you can't, you couldn't even go in and buy a gun. And that was a lot of first time gun buyers. And, um, you know, first welcome to this side of freedom. I I welcome you with open arms, but second, it takes a lot of, I mean, there is responsibility that goes along with that. You know, being a responsible gun owner, there's a lot of education. There's a lot of like, how do I store it? Where do I store the ammo? Am I, am I following all the laws of of my respective state? Um, And, and I really believe that as, as much as I love firearms and I love the second amendment, like being a responsible law abiding citizen is at the forefront of all of those things, which enables us to have all those rights. Um, so like getting trained, getting responsible, learning how to use that gun. Um, and you know, a great gun just to go in really basic is like a, an FN 509, a Glock 17, um, CZ has a striker fire. I mean, everybody has them now, you know, but like th- those are really, really easy ones they are easy to break down. They're easy to clean. They're easy to shoot. And they're just super fun. Yeah, that's that's great advice. And I'm sure you guys go into like obviously gun safety and stuff, but you know, just like how to store the gun at home and how to how to you know store ammo. Because obviously, I, mean, I think a lot of people, families, at least in my mind, I think of you know I have young children at home, so you know it's you know making sure that that stuff is secure in a way. Yeah. As well. Yeah. There, there's no messing around. I, I, I like um, a gun doesn't go off. You know, it's not like, oh, shoot, that, that gun just went off. Like it, it, it will, somebody pulls that trigger to make it happen. And, um, you know, shame on you. And I hope you burn in hell if it was your four-year-old that did that. Um, 
you know, I have every single gun in my whole entire safe is locked and secure or every single gun in my whole entire house is locked and secured in a safe. Um, or it's in a place in a thing that, that is a safe that cannot be accessed by my kids. So that is uh, that's paramount. And that's part of being like, that's one of many things about being a responsible gun, gun owner. Sure. Um, and uh, like one of like countless, you know, like being able to operate it safely, being able to clean it safely, being able to like not break any laws when you're transporting it from where you live to where you're going to shoot. Um, like, the securing it safely is, is, is probably one of the first and foremost things you need to figure out what you're going to do. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. What, um, now what do you guys post up as far as, I mean, now we have the whole COVID thing. So training is probably, um, changed for you guys a little bit as far as like your calendar is concerned. Um, but how are you guys handling that going forward with, with teaching people and, and stuff? Are you still going on the road and, and having courses and stuff? Yeah, yeah, we um we we kicked back off in June. Uh, we we canceled two months of training, um, not because of us. I think I think there was a lot of fear and um, misunderstanding and misinformation and hell intentional disinformation about like what was happening and what is safe and what is not safe. And um, so you know we're we're implementing new measures to make sure that people feel comfortable, you know. But like, um. I, I definitely prefer dangerous freedom and I definitely prefer um, not living in fear. And uh, that's how my, my companies operate and uh, sheepdog response is no different. So, you know, out of um, wanting to, you know, make sure everybody was safe and, and knew that they're going to be trained in a safe environment. Um, unfortunately you missed the nice time of year. So now you're going to have to be training in June, July, August, and September. And those are kind of toasty. Yeah. But, um, yeah, no, we're, we're, we, you know, we definitely had a ton more virtual content that we pushed out for, for students and, um, and from our employer or from, from all, from all, all of our trainers. But as of June, we're back, we're back to live training. Nice. Nice. And your, is your training usually like a weekend thing or, or how long is it typically? Yeah, the civilian course is is a weekend. We do, you know, like we do law enforcement and military courses that are, you know, I mean, hell, even a month long. But um, you know, like that has driving and that has you know, like sniper precision rifle and it has transitions. Um, for the for the civilian, the introduction into sheepdog response is so the the term sheepdog came from um, Colonel Grossman, and he did this parable about the sheep out in the field, just wanting to live. It's cool to be a sheep, right? I just want to eat grass, drink some water, make little sheep. And I just want to, I just want to live. I just want to be normal, you know, like have my wool cut off, you know, be a contributing member of my society. And then you have the wolf who obviously preys upon the sheep. Like he's going to go and kill it and murder it, isolate it. Um, and um, that, that, that wolf is an asshole. And then you have the sheepdog, which genetically is, incredibly similar to the wolf, right? He has canines, he eats meat, he has that predatory instinct. Um, you know, he, he knows how to like do a low crawl and jump and grab something's throat, you know, but then why doesn't it eat the sheep? Well, because it freaking loves the sheep, that's why. And um, it will fight to its death, protecting the sheep against the wolf. So that, that's what that name is, is for sheepdog. Wow. And um, that's, that's what we're trying to empower the individual 
So the, the courses are like a, we start on a Friday night, you get your in brief, we check your gear, we do a safety briefing. Um, you get a couple hour block of instruction on situation awareness, how to prevent something bad from happening. And then Saturday morning, you start fighting Saturday afternoon, you start shooting Sunday morning, you keep shooting Sunday afternoon, you keep fighting. It's um, pretty heavy. That sounds awesome. That sounds awesome. You guys uh, headed to Southern California anytime soon? No, no. <laughs> No, I mean, you can come to Arizona, Colorado, Nevada. Hey, uh, we're, we're running a course in June in, um, in Las Vegas. That's the closest we're going to get to San Diego, I think. Okay. All right. Yeah, that's not too far. Uh, we, we do specific law enforcement courses in, in California for Border Patrol, for uh, California Highway Patrol, um, and then some sheriff's departments up and down the coast. But um, unfortunately, California, hey, voters, you got to figure some things out. Amen to that. Yes, they do. <laughs> do what you want, but uh, I want to bring my team there. But we're we're just not we're just not up for it until until you all figure it out. Yeah, Roger that. I hear you. The baby wake uh, up. Oh, I have I have a seven month old, and uh, we're out in the pool and we 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 take our like we have the baby monitor, but the baby monitor doesn't work out by the pool, so we take right. we take our like our phone and. Uh, put it up and then FaceTime it. So here, here she is right now. <laughs> That's smart. <laughs> <laughs> so we got to go snag her. That's awesome. How many kids do you have? She's looking around. Four. Oh, wow. Right on. What are their ages? Uh, 17, 16, and uh, five and seven months. Oh, wow. You got a spread there. <clears throat> well, yeah. Yeah, I got, I got one graduating in two weeks from high school. Crazy. And then I have one starting kindergarten <laughs> next year. <laughs> well, you're always going to be a, a, a school dad, it looks like, for quite a while, huh? Yep, yep, yep. That's awesome. Yeah, I have two, three and a half, and a year, uh, two days, turns a year old. Uh, a lot of fun. I just watched my buddy, my, my little boy do like a half flip. But then water got in his mask. He's like, ah, oh, I'm done. I'm out of here. <laughs> That's funny. Well, um, Tim, um, I want to just thank you for spending some time with us today. I know you've got a lot going on, a family and a couple of businesses you're running. So we really appreciate you spending some time with us on our podcast and uh, just sharing your story and, and a little bit about you and, and everything. I think it was great to get to, to know you a little bit better. And, um, you know, and I think we talked about some really cool stuff. So thanks so much, man, for being on the show. My appreciate pleasure. It. Of course. Take care. All right. Thanks, Tim. Bye. Yeah, bye.